I really am encouraged to have you all here this morning. I was just messing around with the Halloween joke earlier. Um, I think it's wonderful that we can have this many of us gather together in the Lord's house the day after trick-or-treating in a church that has no boiler working. In the midst of all of that, here we still sit and we can worship together um, and have no fear about it. So I'm thankful for that and I'm encouraged by that. Um, As we go to jump into the message this morning, one of the reasons I choose to go through a book of the Bible together is because it makes us study passages that we might not want to study otherwise. It makes us try to understand things that God says that maybe otherwise we might just kind of glance over because it doesn't really make sense to us and we just kind of want to get to the the good part that we know is going to be a comfort to us. and <clears throat> So I, I, I choose books of the Bible to go through, so we have to address those passages. Because we need the whole counsel of God's Word to speak to us. And so we come to one of those passages this morning, and I just want you to be aware of that on the, on the beginning of it all here, that... This is not an easy thing to work through, some of the stuff that gets said in this passage, and um, being a human being, I'm not going to say that I'm ever going to do it perfectly, but I do, I do think there's comfort for us in this passage, and, and I think there's something deeply helpful that we need to grasp here. So we're going to jump into it, and we're going to be flipping through some different other passages to help us understand this passage, because... There are some Old Testament references made here and everything. So, But I just want you to try to track with me and understand that we're, this is God's word and we're just trying our best as human beings to understand what God's trying to say to us and how this comforts us and should stir us to faith. So let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would give us understanding and give us hearts ready to receive it, that we would receive your word as it is, that we would not try to manipulate it in our minds, but that we would receive it as, as what it says, and that you would mold our hearts to your word, not mold your word to what we want it to say. Help us this morning to have our faith increased. May you be glorified, may Christ be honored as we look at his life and at your word this morning. May my words be faithful and accurate to what you're saying in your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We often find it difficult to understand why certain things happen, don't we? Why are some children born with special needs? Why do some people pass away at early ages? And that's dealing with the physical world. If we move over to the spiritual world, right? Why does this person in my family still not believe in Jesus? Why does this person that I'm trying to witness to at work keep being so hostile to the message of the gospel? I'm sorry to break the news to you, But I'm not going to be able to answer all those questions this morning. But here's what I want you to be able to hold on to as we go through our passage. 
you can trust Jesus with people's hard hearts. I'm not saying that means it's guaranteed that they're going to believe one day or that you're going to, in your lifetime, see that hostile person become kind and loving to you. But what I am saying is that you can trust that Jesus knows these people's hearts and that he is working always in the midst of people's spiritual blindness to him. So let's jump into our passage for this morning. It's in John chapter 12. We took the first part of verse 36 last week. We're going to do the second part of verse 36 this week. It should start a new paragraph if you have your Bible. John 12, verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, as we read that passage, many of those difficult things show up. We struggle to wrap our minds around this, right? Jesus is blinding people's eyes and hardening people's hearts. He doesn't want them to turn and be healed at this moment. They are actually unable to believe And all of this somehow is said to be the fulfillment of Scripture that Isaiah spoke back in the Old Testament. So much of what we just read seems to contradict what so many of us think about Jesus, doesn't it? Some of it because we've read something in Scripture that we can't see how this fits in with it. And some of it because just by human logic it doesn't seem to fit to us of how any of this could work. It doesn't seem fair, maybe. Again, I'm not saying that I'm going to have all the answers for you because I'm not God, but I do want to help us understand this. First, I want to lay a foundation for us. Lay a foundation from Scripture as we try to see how we can trust Jesus with these people's hard hearts. So the first thing we need to realize is Jesus is not only a man. So while he is certainly truly human, right? Jesus really did live on this earth. He did live a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. All of that physically did happen. Jesus also is truly God. Which means eternally Jesus is different from us as well. So something that may not make sense in our human minds may make sense in the mind of Jesus as he is God. God is able to do things we cannot do, and he's able to do them in ways that we could never imagine. 
So we have to be willing to let Scripture tell us who God is and what God can do, even if our human minds don't understand how it fits into human logic. Okay, so that's the first point. Jesus is not a hum- only a human. He is not only a man. He is, right, he is truly human, but that's not all he is. So as Jesus being truly human and truly God, Jesus is also complex. Now here's what I mean by that. He can cause things to happen, even trials or afflictions, and have it not be sinful for him to do, or even have it be from the depths of his own heart. Now that's hard to understand, isn't it, being a human? But let me give you an example from God the Father in Lamentations and how we see this. Lamentations chapter 3. Starting in verse 31, follow along with this. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Did you catch that? Though he, the Lord, causes grief, though he does do affliction, he does grieve the children of man, he doesn't do so from his own heart. He's complex. There's layers here that God can do something that is a trial or an affliction of some sort, but it not be from the depths of his heart. Heart, and he still is not wrong for doing it. So if God can do that, Jesus can do the same thing. So when we read in our passage, Jesus hardens these people's hearts. He can do so without it being the depths of his own heart, but he's still the one doing it. Which leads us to the next stone I want to lay in our foundation. All people start or begin in unbelief. Let's look at John chapter 3. We already saw this with Jesus and Nicodemus, but let me just read it. We love verse 17, don't we? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We love that verse. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but why didn't he come to condemn? Because verse 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So before anybody believes in Jesus, they are in unbelief, which is all of us. All of us have a point in our life where we did not believe in Jesus. Every single human being, right? Romans 3.23, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us start in unbelief. Now it's important for us to realize this because when we hear now in John 12 that Jesus hardens hearts, it's not that Jesus is taking a saved heart and making it go to unbelief. He's taking a heart that's already in unbelief and having it stay in unbelief. He's not taking a heart that was once neutral and moving it over here. It already was in unbelief and he's just making it stay in unbelief. It's a pre-existing unbelief that exists there. 
Because if all are born in unbelief, all start in unbelief, then to be brought into belief requires a miraculous work of God. Nobody can force themselves from unbelief into belief without God doing something. You can't just force yourself into believing in Jesus. Remember the words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 6 that made him lose many of his followers. John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Nobody comes to Jesus from their unbelief unless the Father draws them to Jesus. So what we find out here is faith in Jesus is a gift given to us. Salvation is an act of grace where the Spirit breathes life into our dead hearts. So, when the Father decides certain people that He's not going to draw to Jesus, that means they are going to continue in unbelief. Now, I get, I get it how this seems really problematic in our minds, doesn't it? I really get, I truly, trust me, I understand how hard this is to wrestle with. And I want to end this laying of the foundation with where exactly the same place I started it. Jesus is not us. We have to be willing to let God's word tell us who God is and what God does. And if it doesn't fit our mold of things, it's because our mold of things needs to be changed not because we need to make God fit our mold. So let me give a final passage to illustrate this for you. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You catch that. God decides who he's going to show mercy to. God decides who he's going to show compassion to. It's not based on human will, but on God who has mercy And I know your question. I know your questions that are coming up right now, right? How can it be someone's fault then if they don't believe? How can that person be held responsible for their unbelief if their belief is only based on whether God decides to show mercy or not? If God doesn't give them mercy to believe, how can he judge them rightly? Those are great questions. And Paul thought you might ask those. Look at verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But then verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, 
why have you made me like this? You see his answer? I told you I'm not going to give you all the answers, right? I told you that from the beginning. I don't have all the answers. But the answer that Paul gives is, what is the clay to ask the potter, why are you doing this with me? The clay doesn't get to ask that question. It doesn't have the right to ask that question. So as we don't get to say, God, you don't fit my mold, so you must be wrong. We don't get to say that. So I'm laying this foundation, like I said from the beginning, we have to let God be God. Jesus is not us. He is complex. He's able to harden someone's heart, even cause affliction in somebody's life, but have it not be from his own heart. He's not hardening a neutral heart, but one that was already in unbelief from the very start. So anyone whose heart is changed from death to life has been given a gift of faith. Salvation is grace being poured out of the Spirit, bringing our souls to life, even though we were dead in our sins. And on our own, we would have never believed. If left to ourselves, we would have always stayed in unbelief had the Father not drawn us to Christ. So that brings us to our passage in John 12. Now, why I think John 12 is helpful for us is because John does begin to give us a glimpse of some answers of what God does, what Jesus does in hardening people's hearts. He does start to give us some answers, at least in these situations, of a glorious end that is coming in the midst of God currently, or Jesus currently hardening people's hearts. So we may not always get the detailed answers, but I think we start to get a few details within this passage, and I think that helps us to trust Jesus with these hard hearts. Last week, we saw Jesus' final public words in verse 36 to Jews and Greeks around him. Right? He called them to believe in him as the light while they still could. But then we find in the second part of verse 36 that Jesus leaves and hides himself. Basically, it's being made known, your time is running out. He just said, believe while you still can, and then he's gone. They don't see him now. And then from there... What we have is John's explanation of these people continuing in unbelief. He tells us in verse 37, right? They had seen all of these signs, yet they still did not believe in him. Why not? Based on the foundation we just laid, the reason they're still in unbelief is because the Father hasn't drawn them to Jesus. So why is that going on? And John gives us some reasoning he makes a reference back to Isaiah and connects that, what was going on in Isaiah's day and his prophecies, to what's going on now in Jesus' day. So what I want us to do is I want us to break these into two points, what was going on in Isaiah's day with hard hearts and now what's going on in Jesus' day with hard hearts. So first, let's look at hard hearts in Isaiah's day. His prophetic ministry takes place in the midst of Israel walking in all sorts of unbelief. 
right? That there was the whole nation of Israel, and then it splits into the northern and southern kingdom, and then they're doing all sorts of evil, and now they're about to go into exile because of their idolatry and their injustice that they've continued in, right? Just look at the way that they're described in Isaiah chapter 1. Starting in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Not a pretty picture. So what does God do? Well, God chooses Isaiah to be his messenger to this rebellious nation. But it's not going to be a pretty ministry for Isaiah. Look at how his ministry is described in Isaiah chapter 6, which is what John actually is quoting in John 12. Isaiah 6, starting in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land." The very message of salvation that Isaiah is going to preach is going to blind his audience. Isaiah's message of hope is going to actually make their hearts grow dull. They are not going to turn to God and be healed. And Isaiah says, how long, Lord? How long is this going to happen for? And God says, until the cities lie waste, till there's no more people in them, till the land is forsaken, God is going to keep these people blind to the message, keep them in their unbelief until everything is made desolate. Now you're asking the question, why? Why wouldn't God want them to turn immediately? But we ask that question because we don't remember what God has already told Israel. Before Israel ever entered the promised land, God told them something if they had decided to turn to idols and injustice. Look at what he told them back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. 
And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. God told them if they worshipped idols, they would become desolate. He told them from the get-go, this is what's going to happen to you. So, now in Isaiah, he's preaching this message, and we're asking why are they allowed to stay blind for this period of time? It's because God is making come to pass what he said he was going to make come to pass on them. If he were to graciously turn their hearts early, then he wouldn't bring to pass what he told them back in Deuteronomy. God is fulfilling what he told them would happen by keeping them blind for this period of time. But it's not just bad news. It's not. Because look at what God says in verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So here's that beautiful salvation. After this period of unbelief and hard hearts, they will seek the Lord and find him if they do so with all their heart and all their soul. The blindness to Isaiah's message is not without purpose. In fact, jump back to Isaiah chapter 6 where we just were. I left a verse out there at the end for a reason. We read through verse 12, but look at verse 13. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. While describing the desolation that's about to happen, even here at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, what is said? There is going to be a stump that remains, and that stump is a holy seed seed. There is still yet hope. Even though their hard hearts will result in much destruction for their cities, there is still a seed that will flourish. And we see the flourishing of that seed as we fast forward to Jesus' day. Because what does John tell us now in John chapter 12, verse 37 and 38? He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that, this is why they didn't believe, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. While Isaiah was speaking to a rebellious Israel who was not believing what he was saying, John tells us that that moment is actually being fulfilled at this moment of the Jews not believing in Jesus. So that brings us to the hard hearts in Jesus' day. These people have been hardened by Jesus' message. They've been hardened by the signs that he's done. Even his appearance of being a lowly man rather than a king. Even to the point that John says in verse 39, therefore they could not believe in him. Now again, we read that and we say, why would Jesus ever want that? Why would Jesus ever want these Jewish people not to believe in him? 
right? Okay, God promised restoration after desolation to Israel, right? So they have to have their hard hearts continue to be hardened until desolation happens, so then the restoration can happen, right? God's fulfilling his word. But why now with Jesus too? Why now also that these people need to have their hard hearts hardened? Well, it's interesting that the passage that John uses to tell us is being fulfilled is not the one you might expect. He doesn't tell us straightforwardly that verse 40, where he says he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, he doesn't tell us that that's what's being fulfilled. What does he tell us? In verse 38, what's being fulfilled? Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's not Isaiah 6, that's Isaiah 53. So now he's telling us a different part of Isaiah is what's being fulfilled here. So let's look at what happens in Isaiah 53. Starting in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So now we see that Isaiah is not just telling us that the the Jews' unbelief is fulfilling this passage, but now he tells us how they're blinded to Jesus. Right? To some extent, he's telling us Jesus had no form of majesty to be looked at, no beauty to be desired. Men hid their faces from him. He was despised and rejected. Jesus comes in the form of this less-than-desirable man so as to keep the Jews blind to who he is. But still is the question, why would he want to do that? Why would he want them blind to who he is? Continue on in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The glorious reality is that if these Jewish people hadn't had their hearts hardened to Jesus, then Jesus would have never made it to the cross. If their hearts hadn't been hardened to him, they would have never sought to kill him. He would have never been pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, no peace available for us. We all would be astray and stay astray because our sin would have never been laid on Jesus. Jesus blinding the hearts of these people who saw his signs but still did not believe is paving the way for him to make it to the cross. If they saw Jesus for who he was before he went to the cross, 
There is no cross. There is no salvation. There is no hope for us. The glorious reality is that the salvation that we just praised God for in singing Jesus paid it all is only made possible because Jesus kept these people from believing in him in this moment. Because he, at that moment, did not breathe life into their dead souls. Let me close this portion with one final verse to maybe help solidify this reality. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans 11, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Even to our present day, our present reality, Israel, the Jewish people, has a partial hardening on their hearts by God. Why? So that the fullness of the Gentiles might be brought into God's family. You can trust Jesus with people's hard hearts because not only did he have purpose in the desolation for Israel in the Old Testament, not only because he used the unbelief of the Jewish people to take him to the cross, but because even now, in our present reality, he is keeping a hardening on Israel so that you and I as Gentiles are allowed to be in the family of God. The message of the gospel would have never made it to us if these Jewish people had believed before us. The hardening was necessary that the gospel might go to the Gentiles. That's exactly what Paul is telling us here in Romans 11. Your salvation is only available because Jesus has hardened hearts. So you can trust him with those hard hearts. Now, as we come to the final verses of this passage in John 12, we see a transition take place. John now gives us some insight as to why Isaiah wrote what he wrote, and then he then describes to us some more unbelief of some Jewish authorities. Some of these authorities are agreeing with the connections of everything Jesus is doing seems to fit some of these Messiah things. But, but, they fail to respond rightly to Jesus because they consider something else to be of far more value. So I think it's helpful for us to hold up these two examples. We have Isaiah and we have the Jewish authorities and contrast them on how they're responding to the glory of God in Jesus. And I think it's helpful to ask ourselves the same question. Are we blind to the glory, or do we see the glory? So we're going to read these verses, and then I'm going to ask you two questions and see, help you maybe diagnose where you're at in the midst of this. So let's read these verses. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, 
so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. First question to determine whether you're blind to the glory or whether you see Jesus' glory is, do you speak of his glory? Notice what John specifically tells us about Isaiah's reason for saying what he said back in the Old Testament. Verse 41. He said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah said what he said because he had seen the glory of Jesus. Those who truly see Jesus' glory cannot remain silent about his glory. It's simply not possible. But what do the authorities do? Right? Well, in verse 42, we see John say that they believed in him. We know by this point in John's gospel, believe doesn't always mean true faith. It just means that they're starting to maybe make some of these connections here. But look at how they respond to Jesus. Due to their fear, they don't confess their belief. Whatever kind of belief this is, it's not saving belief. It's not going to save these religious leaders. They might see a lot of truth about what Jesus is saying about who he is, but they remain silent about it. They are too scared of losing their influence and losing their status in the synagogue to even say that Jesus might really be the Messiah. My friends, when we find out good news, don't we want to tell somebody about it? Think about it. If you become pregnant, or maybe your child becomes pregnant and you're going to be a grandparent, or you get a promotion, or you buy a house, or a new car, or a motorcycle, right? What do you do? You tell somebody. If you really think this is great news, you tell people about it. And my friends, there's no better news in the world than that your hard heart has been softened. That your blind eyes have been opened to see the glory of Jesus. Amen? If you're too scared to share the news that you've seen this glory, then you might want to question whether you've actually seen it. For those who have seen this glory, they are so enamored with it that they don't care what they're going to lose for speaking about it. So ask yourself, Do I have some sort of fear of something preventing me from speaking about this glory? If so, then have I really seen the glory? So that then brings us to the second question. Do you love his glory? While the first question dealt simply with the words that come out of your mouth, the second question speaks more specifically to your heart. What is it that you truly love? What has your affections? What do you consider to be most valuable? What motivates you to live life the way that you live? Because here's the reality. All of us are both body and spirit. We have physical bodies that move, that speak, that behave in certain ways. But what causes us to move in certain ways, to say certain things, and to behave the way we do, comes from a deeper place. It comes from our heart. And it's not always easy to understand why we do what we do. In fact, we're told this in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Just look at it real quick with me. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. 
It is a deep thing to figure out the purpose in our hearts. What's going on? Why we're doing what we're doing? But the man of understanding, the person who is wise, the person who wants to be faithful to God and seek His glory, draws out, searches for that purpose in the deep well of their own hearts. They want to know why they do what they do. And we see that motivation for the authorities told to us at the end in verse 43, don't we? For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They love men's glory more than God's glory. They are more willing to have people in society think highly of them, specifically the people in the synagogue. They'd rather have that than have God approve of them. They'd rather have that than seek to please God, than seek what it is that honors God. They love the approval of these people. It's the motivation for why they do what they do in life. They live to keep their status, to hear these approving words, to get from the people in their synagogue a good thumbs up about how they're doing in life. But that's not true for Isaiah. The entire context we saw in Isaiah was that he was going to be rejected by his entire audience. They were going to hate his message. Same thing with Jesus. He lost thousands of followers in one day because he said a message that was too hard to hear. But what was it that Isaiah and Jesus both loved? God's glory. Isaiah, not necessarily for himself. Jesus, only for himself, because the Father and Son share the glory. But their pursuit was that God would be made known around them. They wanted God to be seen in the words that they spoke, in the way they interacted with people, in every part of their lives. Is that true of you? Is God's glory what you love when you wake up in the morning? When you're eating your meals throughout the day? When you have a tough day at work? When you're hanging out with your family? When you go to the grocery store? When you have a free weekend to do whatever you want? When you sit in your house? When you lay down at night? Are you loving God's glory? Because, brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. It is only those who see, speak, and love God's glory that trust Jesus with hard hearts. Isaiah was only able to face the rejection of people's hard hearts and continue to speak faithfully the message the Lord had given him because he saw the glory of Jesus and trusted him in all circumstances. The disciples were able to trust Jesus when they came across people who were going to reject them, even kill them for the gospel, because they first had seen the glory of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. You may not ever fully understand what Jesus is doing with hard hearts. You may not get the details. It may not make sense to your human logic. You may want to even argue about whether it seems fair or not. But if you've seen the glory of Jesus, you're willing to let him be God and admit that you're not. So no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, 
Will you trust Jesus with hard hearts? Because you first have seen and because you love his glory above everything else. Let's pray together. Father, it's hard for us as human beings to admit that we're not in control of everything. To even live life somewhat in the unknown of not knowing your purposes when people have hard hearts. Help us this morning to have our hearts so overwhelmed with love for your glory that we trust you with those hearts. That regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the rejection we might face for speaking of your glory, we trust you. We trust you with our co-workers, with our community members, with our neighbors, with our families, all those who just haven't believed in Jesus yet. Help us to trust you with them, knowing that whatever you're doing, we can still love your glory. We can trust you. We've seen in these passages how you use the hardening for a glorious end. That for those who seek you with all their heart and all their soul, they will find you. That in Jesus hardening people's hearts, he goes to the cross and provides the salvation that all of us desperately need. Help us to realize, since we can trust Jesus and his plan to go to the cross, we can trust him with any other person's hard heart. Help us to see and love your glory this morning and as we go through this week. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.